0: Welcome to Coming Along Nicely. We're two brothers, Rich and Tim, who recently went back to school. Every week we're discussing one thing we're learning in our classes, and we want to invite you to come along with us. The result should be clarity into family. You're gonna see that character's face change. You're gonna see them in a new way that you've never seen them before. Now that we can see this whole system in a new light, how do we wanna change
1: it? How do we wanna recognize it? It's gonna change the dynamic and here's how teaching them these communication skills.
0: So what classes are you
1: in? Your classes just started this week, right? No, we we're still in the same. So we don't switch after spring break. It's all all 16 week classes and I guess there are ones that like you can elect to take that are only 8 weeks, but we just stay in the whole classes the whole semester. It's not like not like what you guys have. So I'm in the same deal, and uh, I wanted to bring something from advanced expository writing. so let's talk about uh, shots and scenes in writing. So Ooh, shots yeah. and
0: scenes this This is bringing me back to my old D and D days.
1: <laughs> yeah, actually that's that's not a bad. It's been at least 10 episodes since I used that phrase, so <laughs> it was about time for me to do it. So this, I actually haven't been back in class yet. Spring break is over, but I haven't been back in class. So I'm pulling from a couple of weeks ago. If I'm a little foggy, please forgive me, everybody. But yeah, talking about uh, like shots and scenes. So pretty much the analogy, like if you don't get it, is in writing, it can be helpful to think of it as like you think of a movie. And Some people might take issue with that, like comparing, you know, writing and literature to like a different art form that came up much more recently. And people might be like, oh, well, movies like are not art, whatever, so on and so forth. Yeah, all of that being, you know, whatever you think about that, what I'm talking about is not, is not saying you should write dialogue like it appears in movies. It's not really like. It's not really like that. It's just good language to describe what writers already do. So I'll just say that from the jump, it's like even if movies never came around, writers were already doing these things that I'm going to talk about. It's just that it's easier to like use movie language that people are familiar with compared to you know, I don't even know how you would describe like the I mean, you can't say cinematography like the visual writers. You have to picture the the visual makeup of the maybe scene would be OK because scene is from a play. But you see what I'm getting at. It's like nobody get it's just words. Please don't <laughs> nobody hate uh, hate me for saying that we should write like movies. So with that little disclaimer, we're talking about when you're writing scenes And this could be fiction. It could be nonfiction. uh, Scenes. Really. uh, Like you wouldn't necessarily have a scene. In like a textbook. Or like a legal document. But if you're trying to write like creative nonfiction. You are going to show. You know there are people. These are characters who are together. They're interacting with their world. And so whether it's fictional or not. Writing scenes can be very effective and within that scenes are made up of shots and there's different kinds of camera shots. You know, you watch a movie and it's not just it's whether you've thought about it or not. It's not just a camera sat in one location and you're watching all of this action go on on stage. That would be more like a play, right? You go to the theater And you just have one vantage point. And part of what people Mm. in theater have to do is they have to work with that because they know they know that they're limited to one vantage point in writing. Yeah. So that. Yeah. That that is a
0: strength as much as a
1: weakness, though, sometimes. Right. Every different. uh, All of the humanities have different limitations. And yeah, their strengths, their weaknesses. It you get into. You pick what you want to do based on uh, to some extent, you know, if you can can get along with the strengths and weaknesses of any form. And so, yeah, I mean, uh, in writing and in and in movies, whether you've thought about it or not, especially watching a movie, you know, there's different camera shots. You the scene might only take place in one room, but you might get you know, 30 different camera angles. I don't know. I'm just making that number up. Uh, But what we went over in class is five, uh, five camera angles that you can write from that you can picture in your mind while you Mm. write, and this will help you write a better scene. So I'll give the names of these uh, probably rich. The first one is like super obvious, but if any of them, if you want to like guess what it is before I, before I jump into it, feel free. So five camera angles for writing the first one would be the establishing shot so you might people you might be familiar with this depending on how much you know how much time you spend filming TikToks or watching TikToks about <laughs> movie making but the establishing shot this one is like maybe the most predictable any you're watching a movie and a new scene begins 95% of the time I'd say it starts with an establish- establishing shot which is where you see the environment Is it like
0: wait yeah. wait wait I'm wait, wait. Oh, sorry I don't to guess is this like um now are all of these shots just different perspectives are they different point of views will like will some of them have the same point of view but there's a different goal
1: so they all are I don't know the right way to say this they're think of them as like zooming in and out like they're all different okay. widths a and b yes they all have different they all have different uh purposes why you would use them gotcha so i almost imagine like establishing establishing shot
0: is like very wide frame uh very environmental that's where you're getting the detail of like place weather and maybe it's more third person than first person.
1: Mm. Interesting. Yeah, I think so. Uh, Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. First person versus third person. I think that's probably correct. And we'll, we'll come back to that in a minute. But yeah, no, you're exactly right. So the establishing shot is like, it's establishing the scene. So it's showing who's there, you know, maybe a little bit of what's going on. Like, we've got our characters, they're in an office, and you see them, like, shuffling papers a little bit. Like, you're not really seeing the action of the scene yet. But, like you said, you're kind of just getting, like, hey, here's what's going on. Here's here's setting it up. It's kind of like, who, what, where, when, and why. Well, not why. It's who, what, where, and when, and why comes later. So yeah establishing shot if you sit down to watch a movie or a tv show especially this one you're just gonna like notice it everywhere if you don't already know what that is it's like like i said the beginning of of every scene pretty much has one so yeah the next one if you want to guess guess this guy would be
0: play along at home
1: listeners yeah press pause write down your answer send them in (laughs) <laughs> uh, we can see who scores the best so this one i hate the name of it i wish there was a better way to say it but like middle distance shot middle frame shot so you can imagine i won't say what the purpose but you can imagine what it is is like it's not super zoomed out it's a you're you're pushing in a little bit more that's the middle distance so yeah what do you what do you think Middle distance shot would be.
0: Hmm. I'm imagining middle distance is. I'm thinking it's like there's one character in shot. uh, You're still getting a lot of the environment. Maybe it's their their interactions with the environment or their opinions of the environment. Or it might be more of like a first person inner monologue before
1: something happens or after something happens too, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. You have, you have the answer in there. Uh, And you're also describing some of the other shots too, but I think you said the interactions of a character, like with their surroundings and yeah, that's, Mm -hmm. that's it. So like the definition uh, that our professor gave was like relationships between characters and either their environment or with another character. So yeah, exactly. It's it's the interactions uh like in the in the office example, in the establishing shot, you're just like, "Oh, these are people in an office. This is an office setting." Whereas when you move to a middle distance shot, maybe it is uh you see the main character and it's not super close up, but he's kind of like in the front. And then you see his boss, uh, you see his boss's office in the background. And the boss is like standing in the door looking over him. If if that makes Mm -hmm. any sense. So it's, Mm -hmm. it's showing like the relationship of this guy to his boss, or maybe the relationship between the two characters. You might kind of get that like, There's some tension going on. At this point, you're not going to get like the character's heart and soul. You're not supposed to know like exactly what they're. But you just get the idea like, oh, this is like a cubicle. There's like the guy, the cubicle mate next over is like really close. And that probably gets annoying. And like the boss is standing in the back. It shows exactly what you said, the interactions. That's the middle distance. The number three, we've got the close up shot for those of you watching at home so close up what it is is exactly what it sounds like middle distance was you know kind of medium uh medium field if I'm using that term correctly uh and then a close up is exactly what it sounds like it's a close up so take a take a swing at that one. what's a close up all about i'm I'm gonna guess close up
0: is like either intense emotion or inner monologue or no, I'm going to stick with those two intense emotion and inner monologue.
1: Yeah. You're really, <laughs> you're really good at this Uh much better than all of us I'm in the class. You, dude, it's D and D. No, you're, you're right. Uh, no, let me, let me put a little pause in the, the little game we're playing here to say that, uh, I've been, I've been in my gamer era lately. So, this happens about like once every three years, it just hits me so unexpectedly at where I'll get like really into video games. And what brought it on this time was like, it was the convergence of spring break. So having time off and traveling, being in the car a lot with a book I'm reading about video games, a show I'm, I was watching based on a video game and just playing video games. And so all of that to say, like video games have really good stories. And I know that D and D isn't a video game, (laughs) but they reference that in the book too. They're referencing like world building and character building and D and D. And it's like, man, I feel like I've been uh, left out of this world a little bit. Yeah, Tim, why do you think I was always playing video games growing
0: up? (laughs) Come on. For the story. Because they're artistic. (laughs) Yeah. I will say, just to see the pacing and how it unfolds, if you haven't, you should play the campaign of the first Halo game. Ooh, interesting. One of the best. I never did. Well, there's just, there's, I mean, you know the plots though, right? You know the
1: enemies that are in that game. I would say I know, yeah, like who are the good guys and who are the bad guys. That's that's kind of it. Okay.
0: There's just this. Um, let, let me see if I can use some of the language. You know what? Keep going. And then I'll explain the scene I'm talking about Ooh. Tr- trying to use
1: the language from your class. Perfect. So close up. You nailed it. Uh, it's to show emotions and personality. So in this. In this example, you know, a close up would be you get the character in the office, you get his face. Side note, like I keep referencing the office. And at this point, I might as well. have I should have just talked about the show, the office. But we're, we're too we're too deep in. So in my imaginary example, yeah, you zoom in on the character's face. And if he is if he's upset, you're going to see that if he's. Bored out of his mind, you're going to see that those are emotions, personality. I mean, if he is like, like Jim in the office, like ornery, you're going to pick up on that. Or if he's Dwight and like always finding something to be like mildly enraged about, that's all what a close up is, you know, or maybe I'm just, I'm describing it in a way that's like half close up, half establishing shot. But you also might have it where like, whoa, something crazy just happened in this scene and you're going to get the close up and you're going to see that character's face change or you're going to see them Mm -hmm. in a new way that you've never seen them before. All of these are like valid examples. But yeah, you, you nailed it that it's about like getting their emotions and kind of, you know, their inner obviously... So, this is where it's a little bit different, actually. Maybe this is a good thing to point out. In movies, you can't get somebody's inner world. Like, the closest thing you could get... Oh, yeah, there's not a narrator. Right, which which that's what I was going to say. Like, in maybe... We would typically read this as, like, being cheesy. But maybe there's, like, a close-up of the character's face. And you hear, like... You hear their like childhood self saying like, don't do it, Bobby, or you know, in a movie, we we think that's all very weird. But in writing, this is what we were saying about like, every form is a little different in writing, you can get a close up, and you can, you can hear somebody's inner thoughts and what they're thinking about. So yeah, kind of interesting. That is the third shot we had establishing middle close up the fourth. This is another one that the name is just like not elegant, but the fourth shot is the super close up or the very close up. Oh, (laughs) so I don't even have to describe what that looks like, but you can go ahead and take a, take a shot at what is a super close up.
0: Um, I'm going to guess a super close up. I, I'm trying to think of one. I don't think I, you're going to. know why my mind. My mind for the super close up is imagining, um, you know, those those scenes in SpongeBob where they'd like hyper detail a character and they always look really gross. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That that's what I'm picturing. So I'm going to go with that and say that the super close up is. To either show. Super the super close up is to show like some sort of uncanny nature of a person. Like a like a certain amount of pain or a certain amount of hurt or super amount of joy that's like over the top.
1: Okay, so that is not really it. Incorrect. I'm sorry. Dang it. At least in (sighs) in the context of what we're talking about, because like actually as you say that, that is a thing that people do, but In the, in the list of five that we'll stick to that my professor gave, a super close-up is different because obviously, as you can tell, it is like going in super close on the subject of the shot. What's different is that it's more, well, for one thing, it might be focused on like an inanimate object, or if it is focused on a person, it might be focused on like just certain parts of them as opposed to so what a cl- what a super close up would be about is about establishing like symbols symbolism. Hmm. Although, let me let me check checks notes real quick.
0: Cuz I feel like if it's about establishing symbols um does that mean like you're always super closing
1: up on the same symbol or not necessarily so like the example I'm thinking of right now? I mentioned so I was watching The Last of Us, which is like the HBO adaptation of the video game. Did you you played that video game, right? It was one of those games where
0: it's really long and I lost my attention. Oh, really? <laughs> I don't know why. I play a lot of sandbox games where there's not a story and I make my own story. And I play <laughs> a game that has this beautiful, dramatic story and get to certain points and go, I'm bored. Yeah. And then go
1: play something else. I might have ADD. Who knows? that? Yeah, no, I get that because like when I do play video games, <laughs> I'm playing like Bloons Tower Defense 3. I'm not playing like yeah, yep, these, you know, uh epic games. But okay, so in The Last of Us, spoilers everybody, in like the next 60 seconds or so. Uh the character, he has he has this watch that his daughter gave him for his birthday before you know right before spoiler she died and there's at least one scene later in the show where the main character he's having this discussion with this other girl who he's like protecting and obviously like in the show you're getting like oh this is like a father figure type thing but in this one scene they have one particular conversation and things get real. And it like slowly zooms in on his watch, which was a gift Mm -hmm. from his daughter. And so the symbolism is like, you know, his, he wears this, his daughter gave it to him as a gift. And now this girl is giving him something in the form of, I don't know, like fulfilling that role in his, whatever it is. But that's the point is like super close up is going to be on a symbol. And, I checked my notes earlier. I did write something down about showing like key emotions and key dilemmas. So it, it could be possible that. That that would be a person's facial expression, but I don't know. I think it's maybe it's, maybe it's like going, it's
0: zooming in on certain emotions that for the point of the story are, symbols you know right like a character hasn't felt a certain emotion now they're feeling it so you're zooming in again
1: yeah i don't think it could be just you're getting this person's this person's emotion and their expression just like every other close-up shot it would have to be more like what you're saying where it's like this is a key somehow this is like a key symbol or maybe it could be you know sometimes you see it where where one scene ends and it's like lined up on a character's eyes and then the next Mm -hmm. scene begins and it's lined up on a different you know their grandmother's eyes like that could be an example you know so it could it could definitely be a person and then the fifth shot would be the aerial view which again that's another one i probably don't really have to describe what an aerial view looks like, but what is it? What do you think? Aerial view.
0: I feel like it's showing action. You know, I'm feeling like it's like an action shot. Like you're following someone as they are chasing someone down a street, or you're following someone as they are racing through their house. It's, it's all about
1: action. Interesting. Uh, It definitely could be. It definitely could be showing action. I don't think that matches the definition here. But it's like not. It's not mutually exclusive. So within this framework. An aerial view would be. Showing objectivity. Like zooming out. Okay we've been in this scene. We're following what this character. Thinks about things. But what's what's the bigger picture? What's going on? Like, let's kind of forget about this character for a minute. And so, yeah, if there is, like, a battle going on, you know, if you picture, like, a, a Marvel movie, an action movie, whatever, you can very much picture that there are, like, close-ups where you want the hero to win, and it's, like, showing them swinging their sword and, you know... <laughs> Tens, like dozens of people are dying, but you don't even care because like you don't care about them. The shot is framed up on the hero, that sort of thing. Versus. Yeah. What you were saying is like, okay, now the scene ends and you zoom out and the hero won, but everybody's just dead on the ground. And so you, you have a little bit of like, Ooh, what, what do I think about this? So, yeah, actually. I don't think you're far off in saying that it's showing action, but it's this one is like, so the, the establishing shot at the beginning was like, Hey, here's where we're at. And then an aerial shot can come at the end and be like, well, here's, here's where we're at. Or, you know, even asking, posing it as a question, like, Hey, where are we at? Like, is this as good as you thought it was? Is this as bad as you thought it was? So it's the classic movie end
0: zoom out into sky.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of that, I don't know that I don't like you could take these five shots and just do them in order. One, two, three, four, five. And that would be a pretty decent scene. Every time I wanted to ask my professor this and I don't, I, it didn't, I just didn't get a chance to. I'm not sure if she was saying that these scenes like happen in order, or if she was saying that these are just the five. But like I said, if you, if you play them in this order, it's, it's not going to be a bad scene. Uh, but what we did, and this comes back to D and D and what you were saying about halo is we she took us through these five different types of shots and then she was showing us like movie scenes and we had to recreate the scene using hmm. the different kinds of of shots or she also did it where like she would play something but she would say like okay now do a close up And then she'd play it again. She'd say, now do a aerial view. And we had to like practice writing it differently. So that's, that's the whole point of Mm. all of this is like, when you're aware that you can take these different frames, it, it helps you write better. And it kind of opens up, it opens you up to like, Hey, what is it I'm trying to accomplish and picking, picking accordingly. It can give totally new emotion or like flavor to a scene yes wow yeah i huh that's really cool in the uh in the practice i realized because i like last semester started on this novel idea for a class and what i realized is i i do almost exclusively medium middle shots where you're showing the relationship between between the characters and between their environment and i i even consciously thought like I'm kind of writing like a painting like you're seeing hmm. you're seeing it. You see the scene like with your eyes, but like I didn't know how to make it better and make it more. Where you get the emotion, you get the sense of action. And so writing this, I was like, oh, well, well duh, that's what I was doing wrong. And yeah, so that's that halo. You're going to talk about halo. Oh, oh, yeah. um. So here's the interesting thing I was thinking of
0: literally in the last like 15 seconds. Halo is a first person shooter. So much of the game takes place. From that perspective. um, Which makes it difficult to try to explain this scene, Um, but I'll do what I I'll do what I can do. So um, establishing shot whereas most of the halo levels up to this point have been very bright, very green. Uh, you'll have like purples thrown in there as well. This one, it takes place at night. Um, and you're kind of coming in on, squads coming in on a drop pod you're here to find like the covenant or the aliens and after landing on the ground there's not a lot there you get this very i guess it would kind of be aerial shot Mm -hmm. would be the perspective as you're going through there are some but they you see a lot of their equipment but they're not there and the few that you do see as you approach are like running away like they are running towards you away from something which might be maybe a middle shot um yeah see these guys w- run away anyway you you find so there's a second establishing shot maybe even mixed with another aerial where you find this compound and there are dead aliens there and there's a couple of humans there who are sent there before you but they are either dead and the ones who are there are like going insane and there's this music build up that's just this unsettling. It's like an orchestra of chalkboards. Mm. It is so uncomfortable. Um, and it just creates this really cool. I think that would be like the super close-up that you would maybe get because you're like seeing these like these signs that something's not right. Um, and then the rest of the level introduces the flood, which is this really unsettling new enemy type. It's uh oh, it's beautiful. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I remember you guys like I would I kind of have this memory that you and your friends would like replay the last level a bunch does that does that ring about oh yeah we'd play the last that was halo 3 oh we played the last level of halo 3 a (laughs) lot (laughs) yeah I I remember that I never I was I'm the same way with stories in video games like I don't think I ever played it but I'm at least intrigued now that maybe I'm like, maybe I should go play Halo or The Last of Us. But yeah, I mean, like you're saying, uh, these are the kinds of things that if you know what they are, then you can, you'll start to see it everywhere. And also like these five, like any, anytime you make a list of anything, it's like, oh, well, maybe there's actually like six or 10 or like 18, you know, this is this is an introductory idea, but I do think it's exhausting. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like a good for me at least it was helpful. So uh that's what Well, and that was the thing too about
0: D and D, and I s I think I stole this from a friend of mine. Um, I would start I would start explaining what type of scene it is. Mm. I didn't have all of these, but it's like, hey, we're gonna close like the camera closes like closes in or the camera zooms in on this character's face or like hey we get an establishing shot of these buildings like as a way of just framing everyone's imagination right i didn't want and it felt it worked really well for me because if someone was like explaining something my brain would either like as a player i'd either like hyper focus on whatever skills I have on my paper or I'd be trying to problem solve. But when the storyteller was like, no, hey, establishing shot this camera zooms in on item. Like it's like, oh hey, this item isn't just in this room as a set piece. This is like an important thing. I'm gonna zoom in on it.
1: It was really useful. Yeah. Yeah. And you need everybody also to be on the same page in something like D where it's happening in your imagination. You can't have one person thinking, you know, you're in the desert and one person thinking you're like underwater, like bad example. But, yeah, everybody has to be. Everybody needs the context. So it is. Yes. It is. Yeah. Very interesting to think about. Gosh, I just said interesting, but I was trying to transition. So maybe here it is. Transition That's, time. It's natural. <laughs> it's natural. What have you been learning about? <laughs> um, in OK,
0: so. Yeah, so, um, I'm in family therapy and statistics. So, statistics is a lot of like, oh my gosh. Yeah. It's statistics and it's important stuff. I mean, that's obviously how the helping professions can communicate research to each other. Um, but it is not a fun online class. Um, it's not a fun online class. It's not a fun online class to have an ad like an adjunct professor in. Ooh. Not fun. So I'm going to talk about family therapy. Um, so this week we talked about the different types of family units. So the different type of family units are like blended family, single parent, um, nuclear family, and these different family types have different inherent strengths and different goals they want to set to move towards like a healthier framework for their family. Um, and family systems therapy is all about trying to really rely on and pull out those strengths um, more than it is necessarily hyper focusing on the weaknesses. So for example, a blended family has these two very different cultures that are coming together. You might have, uh, parents and their kids. You might have parent child, new parent. Um, in that example, parent child, new parent child is coming from a single parent family where, although there is, um, difficulties that come from either the death of a parent or divorce, Uh, That can have an effect on a child, a single parent family child does kind of age a little quicker and learn to take care of themselves in certain ways quicker, um, which can result in some amount of strength, and also a natural growth in power in the family, like healthy power. So when you add a new parent into that mix. That child, there's the the opportunity for that child to feel like their power is being taken away, which it is, um, and resentment to grow there. Uh, So that's something you have to be careful of, for example. Now, I mentioned how family systems therapy focuses on the strengths and the weaknesses of these different family units. Um, And family systems therapy is mainly about highlighting the strengths inherent to a certain family type. For example, I mentioned how kids in single family homes tend to mature and quote unquote, grow up a little faster. That's an inherent strength. So focusing on that is good. Um, And kind of like being able to have that family unit, call that out, rely on that strength. I think single parent families are a little bit more democratic, which is good. Um, good for single parent families. Um but it's highlighting these strengths, making them known, but also focusing on establishing and communicating with these families the hindrances that naturally just crop up in a family unit and teaching them skills to be able to work through those things in a healthy manner. Um
1: yeah, go ahead, do you have do you have questions? I I took Well, not a question. I took a. I'm curious to see where your class goes, and what what skills and what like terms you you use or what you learn to use in counseling. Because I took a like a it was I think called marriage and family. It was like a sociology class, and it sounds uh, very similar to what you were saying. And it was like really fascinating like it talked about you know some of like listeners you might think that some of this sounds very common sense like in the example of like if if a child grows up in a single family home like it's going to be different but the stuff we learned was really fascinating and there were all these different Like I'm I'm not gonna be able to recall them right now, but like different dynamics and different stuff. It was like a really cool class, and it sounds very like exactly like what you're talking about. I mean, I'm sure yours is at a higher level. Well, maybe. Um, I think this is still kind of the intro because
0: I'm not technically getting my degree in like child and family therapy. Mm -hmm. Um, so this is just, or I'm sorry, marriage and family therapy. This is just like an intro. To that class, but I also really am enjoying the material. And when working with kids, I feel like if if working with like kids or adolescents is something that I do want to do, I feel like I need I, maybe to get a dual degree in this or something like that because, um, there is such. I mean the the heart of Family systems therapy is like so different than the other types of therapy. Mm. Most other branches of therapy are focused on the individual and how, hey, if you fix the individual, you fix like you fix it, you fix everything, you fix the individual and that's fine. Don't worry about the environment. I think the ones that are very focused on environment are family systems, uh, feminist therapy and multicultural Family or multicultural um, therapy; those are the ones that really pull in the impact of the environment. Which, like, I personally kind of lean towards a lot. I think a lot of people are heavily influenced by their environment, and I think that's especially true when we look at families. Like, for instance, if you're if you're working with a a preteen or a child, like we watched a kind of a video documentary of someone doing therapy with a family. And they had brought up this point that the, a child kind of has this huge emotional imprint on a family um, for good or for bad. They can kind of set the tone for a family and can create distress. Um, What was it? Okay. I think I've got the wording of it now. I had to recall it. A child's distress can cause great distress in their environment And a child's family creates the environment. Mm. So like a distressful environment creates distress in the child, which distresses the environment. And it creates this negative feedback loop that just continues to spiral down and down and down and down. Um, That's why family systems therapy says we need to focus, yes, on the individual, but also on the environment. So the more people we can get in the room for counseling the better. The video we had watched the guy had actually said that they do not they do not do therapy with children unless there is at least one parent in that room with them. Um because like that's just how important the whole idea of systems is for them. Um So I don't know. I thought that
1: was So I- well, yeah, no, to bring in some of the, the language from earlier, like in our world, a, what what you would traditionally think of as counseling, just an individual, you're kind of getting into their thoughts and feelings and kind of trying to like fix them from the inside out. Sorry, I'm probably giving like vulgar, like you're probably squirming. No. Hearing this, you and all all the counselor listeners whereas yeah what you're talking about with like a family system a lot of the stuff we learned about was uh it was talking about like when when certain things are said and done this is the impact it has so so when a when a couple has their first child this is the impact it like predictably has on a couple mm-hmm. or another like with marriage and divorce it was talking about Like the first person who brings up the word divorce, here's what it's going to complete. It's going to change the dynamic. And here's how. And it's one of those things where like where you're going through it, you're just you feel like emotional and you feel like nobody like, you know, nobody understands. Whereas it's almost like it's almost like a pattern. Like, hey, when this person says this, here's how it might play out. And so all of that to say, I imagine in like a family systems therapy type thing, there's probably a good bit of the counselor just saying, hey, when you said this or when you do this, you might not even realize like the impact that's having on the family unit as a whole. Yes. So I think it would just be very like it's a very it's a completely different approach it seems like no yeah like
0: because it's it's kind of like couples therapy for families mhm so a lot of a lot of what therapy looks like is you're sitting down with multiple people and you're teaching them these communication skills or you're reflecting back you know therapy a big part of it is reflections like reflecting content reflecting meaning hey i i heard you say this this is like it's kind of mirroring that back to them and trying to take it a little bit deeper, but you're seeing the whole family unit. So you might be saying like, Hey, Jimmy, when you said that, I noticed that your brother and your mom both like recoiled back a little bit. And then you just let them process that. Like you're kind of making them aware to things. Mm-hmm. It's probably a lot of like psychoeducation too like like i said communication skills helping them establish those roles in the family um so it's it's way more i think hands on i think something you touched on too was how individual therapy is almost working with the client and their reactions to things like CBT how many times a day are you feeling like distressed or angry or depressed how what's your reactions to these different things and how can we reframe your reactions to these things which is i'm not saying that's bad that's like good um family systems therapy is when this person does a it's it's like an equation when a happens b happens and c happens and the result is this so if the result we want is this we need D to happen, and E to happen, and F to happen.
1: um, And let's practice that out. It's a little bit like, yeah, it's kind of like game theory, which maybe is why I find it somewhat interesting. But it's kind of like, hey, if, if this is how the pieces move on the chessboard, then if this is how you move your piece, then this is how the other pieces are going to move. And just helping people to realize that like the way that they are, they're changing the environment.
0: Yeah. Yes. Right. Yep. It's a lot of environment talk and a lot of how is this person affecting this person? And whereas like, if you're sitting down with one client saying, Hey, okay, your mother or your boss did Did or said this, you know, how did that make you feel? Let's work and unpack that and build up resiliency in you. You know, family systems therapy is like, hey, when grandma said this, mom felt this way. And mom, you then had this reaction when you went home with the kids. So, like, now that we can kind of see this whole system. In a new light, how do we want to change it or how do we want to recognize it? Because a lot of the stuff is just autopilot, you know, because you have so many different individuals with their own emotions and feelings and thoughts and concerns, you know, these family systems sometimes just haphazardly create themselves in unhealthy ways. You know, you might have, I think I saw that one study said that like most families lean towards, you know, being Resilient. It's not that like most families lean towards being unhealthy, but sometimes there are these unhealthy systems or these emergencies that happen that create these unhealthy systems and without like intentionality to see them, they can just spiral, like create those negative feedback loops, like with the child in the environment that get worse and worse and worse and worse.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's like if anybody thinks – This is kind of like petty or that it's too much in the weeds of like, well, this person said this, but that person said that I think the heart of it is more like, hey, you you want this. But when you say that it directly works against the thing you say you want. Mm -hmm. So it's not about like, you know, just telling people how to live or talk or like how to run their family it's it's recognizing the things that we do that like aren't aligned with what it is that you you say you want yes and some of
0: that like pettiness i'm not sure i'm not sure i think some of that pettiness might even exist in family systems therapy because like you need to kind of point out where things are going wrong so there might be a point in family systems therapy where there is kind of like a little bit of blame game. Um, but you need to kind of rodeo back that together. It can't just be always blame game. But you need to get the whole picture of how the web of the family. You know, if it's like, well, you know, I would be more happy when I come home if Jimmy would do their homework. And Jimmy's like, well, I would do my homework if someone would help me. But this person never helps me. This person's like, well, I would help you if I didn't have to do everything because this person's not. So there might be this blame game, but I think the result should be clarity into what the family is doing. So there's a lot of information there, like person's coming home late from work. Jimmy needs help with homework. This person feels like they're the only person in the family doing anything. This person in the family, like people are feeling like isn't doing enough. You know, families, I think one of like the tools that helps them is that kind of like ignorance is bliss type thing or like sweeping things under the rug in order to not bring out conflict. That is a natural tool that develops in families to keep things healthy. Um, Like, yeah, like it could be forgiveness, but sometimes it's more like putting something in the closet of forgetfulness more than it is forgiveness. Um, and if those things fester and create – if you create whole systems based on that, it's not going to be healthy. So part of family therapy could be airing that dirty laundry, not for the point of calling people out and making scapegoats. If that's happening, that's a whole different problem. But it's not just – Like in an individual therapy where it's like, well, Jimmy, you should just let's focus on giving you strength to live in this system. It's like, okay, we can now see how even one domino creates this whole system. How can we now build a better system like from the ground up? Yeah. Or rely on the strengths already inherent in the system. Like and really highlight those
1: strengths to get through this difficult time. Yeah, it's kind of like. You know, mining or unearthing what's there, good and bad, so that you can make adjustments to it. Exactly. So I think I'm not going to be I don't have I don't have summer classes all summer long. So maybe one of our episodes is we get mom and dad on and we just do some family therapy together. Oh, that would be great. I think that might
0: be uh, ethical. Violation because of my <laughs> closeness to the situation, um, but we could yeah. bring somebody else in <laughs> do live family therapy. I'm sure that would be great. and that is the episode. Thanks again for listening. Hope you guys learned something new. So excited you guys are here joining us. I know that that sounds so canned, but seriously, we're both excited about being in school, and if you guys can get some enjoyment out of that as well, hey that's an added benefit. We'll see you guys on the next one after we get done with some more homework.